Do you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist? Glass half full or glass half empty kind of person? Me? I'm a pessimist. When I was a kid, I used to go to football matches and always predict that my team would lose, mainly because I couldn't cope with the crushing disappointment if my hopes were dashed. But I'm still a bit like that now. Pessimism seems like the safest option in a world that sometimes lets you down. But even if you're the world's biggest pessimist, you have to admit that life is often kind of good. There are loads of good things we can do and experience. From the small comforts of Christmas around the fire, or or a day at the beach, to the bigger things in life, like deep friendships uh, and family joys, life is actually full of really pleasant and enjoyable stuff. One of the possible side effects of this coronavirus pandemic is that we're maybe much more aware of how we used to take things for granted, right? Isn't it good to meet up with family? Isn't it good to hang out with friends? Isn't it good to eat together, to sing together, to laugh together? And yet, even if you're the world's biggest optimist, the very same pandemic teaches us that life, well, it it isn't always good. A world in which a global pandemic stops us from a family Christmas, well, that can hardly be described as good, right? And a world in which people sometimes get ill, in which friends sometimes betray us, in which stresses can pile up and overwhelm, good just doesn't always feel like the right description. Maybe you feel that at this time. The Bible tells us to expect this dynamic, this, this kind of roller coaster of good but not good. We learnt last week that our world is a good world. We are a people made with a purpose to be under the provision and in the presence of the good God. This means that every good thing that we enjoy comes from our good creator and goodness and fullness of life flows from knowing and enjoying and being in a relationship with that good creator. That's what we were made for. That is meaning, purpose, safety, security, joy. That, in other words, is home. But the Bible doesn't stop at Genesis 2. Instead, something went wrong with this. What we're going to do today is we're going to focus primarily on Genesis 3, and we're going to think a little bit about what went wrong, using the language of home to sort of draw this out. We're going to see how Adam and Eve, though they were able to enjoy life at home, succumbed to the apparent pleasure of leaving home. The fruit looked good. And this is our temptation as well, even today. In a world where we do often feel a little bit homeless, our temptation can be to search 
well, in all the wrong places for home. But we're going to see that life without God, life out of home, life away from home, well, it isn't quite as good as we sometimes might think. It doesn't taste good. In this way, the Bible offers both a compelling description of our human condition, but also it offers hope in the face of homelessness. I hope that makes sense. Uh, So let's crack on with, with point one, leaving home. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden. The home that God had made for them, both literally and spiritually, when another character is introduced the serpent. The serpent, in verse 1, twists God's words, making God out to be a liar and encouraging Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of which he had commanded not to eat. You know the story. Eve, she looked at this tree, but notice in verse 6 that she didn't see withered old branches and rotting fruit. She saw fruit that was pleasing to the eye. If the garden was home, well, Eve, for a moment, she looked out the window and she saw, or what she thought she saw, was that the grass was greener on the other side. All of a sudden, God's commands didn't look like a blessing, they looked restrictive. Home looked stifling, not safe. And so, if we follow the metaphor, Adam and Eve, well, they packed their bags and left home. They decided that they didn't really need the creator and his commands. Honoring God, living in a relationship with God, that's not the key to life and happiness. The good life is out there, and they went in search of it. In the New Testament, Jesus told the story of another man, who chose to leave home. If you've got Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke 15. Um, If not, you can just follow along, that's fine. But in Luke 15 and in verse 12, this man said to his father that he wanted all of his inheritance money early. And he took it, and he quite literally left home, journeying into a distant country, verse 13, where he spent it all in wild living. You'll know the story, I think. But this man, which is a story told by Jesus, he made the same choice as Adam and Eve. He he looked out at the pleasures of the world and said, I want that. I don't want home. I don't want my father. I want something different. And the Bible teaches that there's a third person or group of people who have made that choice. And it's you and me. In fact, it's all of humanity. All, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. In many ways, the essence of sin is saying to God, God, I don't need you. I don't really want you. You're not my king. You can't tell me what to do. I'm leaving home. And this wasn't just a decision we made in our rebellious teens. We were born like this. Born with hearts that somehow face away from home. 
that strive after something other than God. And so we live in this world, wandering around a little in this homeless state, consistently making the same choice over and over and over again. No thanks, God. The grass looks greener over there. And this is no less true, although it is a bit different, for Christians. Just think back to this last week. What occupies most of your thoughts? More than likely, it's the stresses of work. It's your kids or your marriage. It's your studies or your budget. It's getting through the nine to five so you can relax at the weekend. It's putting enough money away so that next year's holiday can take place. It's working in the evening so when that promotion comes, you're not the one passed over. Now these are all good, good things. God calls us to serve him in these areas. But all too often, the way that we live, and in particular the way that we think, reveals what really matters to us. If God is present on our lips on a Sunday only, then we're not worshipping him, we're worshipping someone else or something else. And we're making the same choice as in Genesis 3. God, I don't really need you. I don't really want you. You're not my king. You can't tell me what to do. I'm leaving home. It's the choice, even as Christians, we're all tempted to make each and every day. The fruit looks good. Maybe, however, you're not convinced that it's such a bad choice after all. You're a kind of free spirit, maybe. And life on the road sounds like a blast. No one can tell you what to do, and certainly not God. Maybe you are a Christian, and so you wouldn't really express yourself like this, certainly not at church. But you do recognise that there's something within you that, that just likes to keep God a little bit at arm's length. Maybe you don't want to think like that, but you know deep down, if you're honest, that you do. I know I do. If this is you, then we need to ask the question whether it's a good idea to leave home or not. The fruit looked good, but does it taste good? In Genesis 3, verses 8, Um, We're going to flick back to Luke 15, uh, so keep your finger there if you're following it in the Bible. But in Genesis 3, verses 8, after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They should be with him. He's their creator and they're created. That's home. But just like when a child disobeys their parent and then can't look them in the eye, they hide. And when God speaks to them a few verses later, he confirms that the life that they've chosen isn't going to be quite what they'd hoped for. From verse 16, God curses Adam and Eve for their choice. And this curse, you'll notice, simply involves the reversal of all the good things of home, all the good things of Genesis 1 and 2. You can follow it with me. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and fill the earth. But now, chapter 3 and verse 16, having children is painful. 
God said that it wasn't good for the man to be alone and created woman, for them to live in harmonious relationship with one another. But now, verse 16, that relationship is fractured and broken. God told humans to look after the earth and have lordship and dominion over it. But now, verse 17 and 18, the ground will be painful to humans with thorns and thistles cutting and bruising. And finally, God created man from the dust of the ground, but it is now, verse 19, the dust to which he will return. Leaving home didn't lead to life, but it led to death. And our prodigal son in Luke 15, well, he fares no better, squandering all his money and being forced to eat with the pigs. Don't be deceived. For the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is not life, it's not knowledge, it's not pleasure, it's not wisdom, it's death. It's death because it's a separation from God, the one who is life. And doesn't the Bible describe our world with a stunning accuracy here? Pain and hardship, they're real. Relational strife, that's real. Backbreaking labour, that's real. And ultimately, the death to which we're all heading towards, well, that is a reality. Why do these things exist? And maybe more importantly, why do they coexist in a world that kind of also sometimes seems quite good? Is this some kind of cosmic joke that gives us hope before crushes us with reality? No, our world is as it is because ultimately we're made by a good creator but have chosen to reject him. And so one way of characterising the human condition, there's lots of ways of characterising humanity, but one way from the Bible is the language of homelessness or homesickness. Living in this good but not good world, yearning with home-shaped holes in our hearts for relationship with the God who made us and yet consistently choosing other things to bring us happiness which never fulfil. Doesn't that describe our world? This is the human condition, made for home, chosen to leave. There's much more we, we could say there. But as we, as, we, as we finish, what do we do with the Bible's presentation of this? Where do we go from here? Maybe you're hearing this for the very first time. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Or, or you would, but you've never really heard it talked about quite like this. The first thing you need to learn is that this choice to leave home, to strike out on your own, is a choice you've made and are continuing to make. And the second thing to realise is that this is a false promise. The grass is not greener on the other side, as it were. And your response should be to cry out to the God whom you were made for. In the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, 
the son, he realises his mistake, right? He's out on the road and he realises that, verse 17, back in his father's house, even the servants have bread while he's on death's door with hunger. Through hard experience, he he sees through the mirage and he realises that he's traded a feast for the scraps. What does he do? He returns home. He returns to his father with sorrow on his lips and repentance in his heart. Father, verse 18, I have sinned against heaven and against you. If you're realising, perhaps even for the very first time, or maybe you're realising anew, That you've made this choice, that the things that you've been chasing after will not bring you ultimate happiness, then stop. Return home and confess to your Father God. And what does the Father do in this story? Does he kick his son out of town? You've made your bed, now lie in it. No. Verse 20. When the son returned, the father, with compassion in his heart, welcomed him and embraced him with joy. Friends, you might have left home. We've all left home. But home is still there. The door is not closed. Return home. And the seed of this is all the way back in Genesis 3. Just as Adam and Eve are being cursed and exiled from the garden, seemingly never to return, God curses the serpent. And he says that there will come one day, verse 15, a son of Adam and Eve, a son who will crush the head of the serpent. A son who will once and for all destroy that lie in our hearts that says that life without God is better. The lie that we've all swallowed. This son is Jesus Christ. He was, as the words suggest, hurt by the serpent, killed on a cross, but not defeated, killed so that we can return home. We're going to learn more a little bit about that next week. I won't steal the thunder whoever's preaching about how Jesus came from his home in order to bring us home. But even if you've been a Christian many, many, many years, even if you know this, you know this well, you've heard this preached so many times, there remains a temptation to listen to the serpent. We are not defined by homelessness anymore if we're Christians. And yet we do often find ourselves feeling a little cut adrift in the world. We do find ourselves feeling that little bit dissatisfied sometimes. Maybe things happen in our world, like a global pandemic, and it makes us, we don't really know what to do with that. And we're tempted all too often to search in the wrong places for home. Whether it be that relationship, or that promotion at work, or that university, or that kind of health, or that amount of money, we often have a vision 
of what the good life is. And well, it doesn't always include God. The truth is, we simply don't always trust that living in a relationship with God is home. If that's you, listen to scripture and have your view of home reoriented. Home is not pursuing your own desires with God then tacked on to the end. No, life and life to the fullest is found in living full throttle for your maker. Now that doesn't mean that life is all rosy and nice. And so as you navigate this world in which you sometimes feel not quite at home, in which you sometimes feel the pressures and the pains and the struggles of living in a world that just isn't quite right sometimes, maybe this Christmas as you long to be home but can't be, Use it to remember that this world is not all there is. You are supposed to feel just that little bit homeless, a little bit tired, a little bit hurting, because this world is not your home. Use this not to run away from God, but to turn to God, to repent of the ways in which you have ran, To praise him for his glorious grace. To marvel that he has promised one day to make all things new. And to look forward to the day when we truly are at home. Amen. Uh, Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you are, you are truly a good God. You are not a distant God. You are not a God who who got bored and made creation for something to do. You are a good God. And you made a good world. We thank you for all the things we can see in our world that are good. And we praise you for them. We praise you that they point to you. We praise you that the heavens declare your goodness. Father, we also recognise that this world is hard. And we ask for your help. We recognise in our hearts the temptation to constantly think that you are not good for us, but that something else is. That something else will bring us happiness. That something else will solve whatever it is we're trying to solve. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the times in which we've done that. And we pray that you would fill us, uh, enrich us anew with a sense of your goodness, of how life in a relationship with you, of life in your presence, that's not a burden to us, but a wonderful, glorious, good thing. Father, we thank you that you did send your son, Jesus, who made it possible for us to come to you, to live in relationship with you, to navigate this world with you at the centre. We ask that as we go out this week, in all the different things that we're doing, work and family and friends and stresses, in this coronavirus pandemic, Lord, we ask that you would help us fix our eyes upon you. Help us to see you 
at the center and to treat those those hard things those moments where we just feel cut adrift not as a, a not as a thing to run away from you but to run to you and to be all the more dependent upon you thank you for your words and we pray all of this in Jesus precious precious name amen